0: Hey, it's good to be with you today and uh, there in your living room, uh, family room, wherever you're watching this. uh, I'd love for you right out of the gate to grab a Bible or on your phone turn to 1 Peter and lay that open in your lap. You want to grab a pen and something to write with. I think there's some things that uh, we're going to look at today that are worthwhile writing down as you're doing that. It's been fun for me to hear from many of you as we've kind of gone through this crisis and As we've kind of navigated it, uh, it's a new reality for a lot of us. And so a lot of you are communicating with me and you're telling me how you're surviving the quarantine. And uh, I enjoy hearing that. I had one lady tell me this, that every day uh, she gets dressed up. She gets dressed up, she gets in her car, she drives down to the end of her driveway, gets her mail, and then she comes back. And she told me, she said, that's my outing every day during this crisis. And so, hey, you go, girl. That's what I say, right? I mean, that's awesome if if that's what you're doing. Uh, Someone else told me this. They were so bored that they went out and they got uh, all the rotten wood out of their stack of wood. I'm like, man, that is bored, right? Uh, Somebody wrote me and they said this, that this whole quarantine has caused them to understand their pet a little different. Uh, They wrote this, that we roam around the house all day looking for food. We're told no if we get too close to strangers, and we get really excited about car rides. I feel a little bit like my pet dog, is what they say. Some of you are saying you like this whole experience of doing church online, and uh, you've told me this, the reason you like it is you can talk while I'm talking. Be careful, right? And you also can turn me off and turn me back on. That's not nice. Uh, I got real concerned in staff meeting the other day when uh, Pastor Aiden came in and he said this, his question was this, does anybody know if we can take showers yet or do we still just have to wash our hands all the time? I'm like, man, we gotta get him out of quarantine, right? But uh, we spend this time many different ways. Some of you are surviving, you're you're taking walks, playing games, uh, maybe you're reading books. I I know some of you are watching movies, right? And uh, that's one way that you spend your quarantine. I don't know what kind of movies you like. Like some of you are watching Disney movies all day long because you got little kids, right? You've watched Frozen like 100 times. Uh, Others of you, you're into science fiction. Some of you love Hallmark. My mom, uh, if you're watching this, I know she loves Hallmark movies. That's really not, none of those are really my style. What I like, what I like in a movie is I like a movie that is a true real life drama. Uh, the other day, my wife and I watched a movie, maybe you've heard of it, called Captain Phillips, right? It was a movie about a captain of a cargo ship, and uh, it was based off a true story. 2009, this cargo ship was literally invaded by four pirates from Somalia, and uh, these pirates ended up taking the captain hostage and as they took him hostage he began to see this real life drama begin to play out as they had him hostage and i actually love that movie like the human experience courage real people real life real drama that is what makes me love the bible the bible is anything but like a disney movie a hallmark movie a science fiction movie the Bible is a lot more like a real life drama and nowhere is that more poignant and more relevant than in the book you have open in front of you, First Peter. When you open up the book of First Peter and when we queue up the movie called First Peter, one of the very first things we see right out of the gate is this, is that First Peter is written by a real guy. And you see that right away. If you have your Bibles open, you may want to look at verse 1 because here's what it says. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, you might read that and apostle sounds kind of like a, a real churchy word, a real religious word. It's kind of like one of those words, it's like somebody that's anything but like me. But you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the point of the guy who wrote this book. His name was Peter. And whereas an apostle, he was an apostle, somebody who was sent by God with a message from God, before he was ever labeled that, Peter was a rough and tumble fisherman. He's just a real guy. He was a relatable guy. He was a blue-collar guy. A lot of Jewish boys, what would happen is they would be hand-picked. Some Jewish boys would be hand-picked to go on to school. Right, whereas others eventually, what they would do instead of going on to school, they would go get a job. Well, you read the New Testament like Paul was one of those select, elite few. Like he was picked to go on to the best of rabbinic schools. But Peter, he went and got a job. He's a fisherman. He's a fiery leader. He spoke his mind. He was a risk. Taker. He had calluses on his hands. When you rewind his story, you see him, this fisherman, when he first meets Jesus, it is literally after he had fished all night, couldn't get any fish, Jesus said, Cast your net on the other side. Peter wasn't afraid to question that. He's like, Man, we fished all night, didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, Do it anyways, right? Peter was the guy when Jesus was walking on the water. That'd have been kind of a cool experience, right? And, And he says, Hey guys, don't worry, it's me. Peter was the guy who says, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he's the only guy in the boat that got out of the water, started to walk to Jesus until he started to doubt, and then he started to sink, right? Peter was just one of those guys. You see him talking big sometimes, and in the middle of talking big, sometimes he failed miserably, right? Peter was a guy who rebuked Jesus when Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm going to end up dying and suffering for the sins of all people. Peter's like, no way, not on my watch, right? Peter is the guy who, in the garden, when all of a sudden Judas came with that whole band of people to arrest Jesus, oh, Pete, he pulled out his sword, right? And he swung his sword. I don't know if he was a bad marksman or what it was, but he hit the guy in the ear, right? Cut his ear off. And then eventually he's the guy, when the rest of them deserted Jesus, he, along with John, followed and he watched eyewitness to Jesus' illegal trials. Jesus being flogged and in the middle of that in the middle of that disillusionment he denied he even knew Jesus which leads to one of the last places you see him and that's this that he literally on a shore meets with the resurrected Jesus and it's there where we see this Pete the guy writing this letter being restored by Jesus three times Jesus looks at him and says do you love me Peter and Peter's like yeah and he's like, okay, then I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to lead my church. Peter was a real guy. Peter, before he ever was an apostle, right? Before he was ever that, he was just a real guy like you and me. In some 30 years after witnessing Jesus dying, after witnessing this empty tomb, this rough and tumble fisherman is now a humble but passionate Preacher, and he's writing a letter. And he's writing this letter as an apostle, and there's no one better to write it. 1 is written by, by a real guy, but look at this. It's written by a real guy to real people. You need to know this when you read this. It's not a fairy tale. It's not made up. He's writing this to real people. You can see this in the rest of verse 1. It says, Peter, apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect. Now, that was just a Bible way you find in the Old Testament that, that God would say, hey, here's my chosen people, Israel. When you get over here to the New Testament, this he's writing this to Jews and Gentiles alike. And he's writing this to the church, all those who've said yes to Jesus. You see, Peter is writing to real people who are part of this thing called the church. But here's what's ironic. Look at what happens. They were God's elect and they were exiles scattered Throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, say this fast, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Literally, you, you can forget this, but that's modern day Turkey. Peter is writing to a group of people who are following the same Jesus. They're God's elect in the world, but they're exiles in the world. They are literally scattered. Listen close. This will relate with us today. They are a church that's not gathered, but they are a church that's scattered. They're a church that isn't gathered. They're scattered. Now, listen. I want to talk. I want to go off road for a minute, and we'll get back to 1 Peter. But here's the deal: there are many today <clears throat> that think the church is on hold because it is not able to gather. And if that's you, if you're watching this, you're gravely mistaken. Because Peter is writing to a church that wasn't gathered. They were scattered. Somebody. This morning sent me this cartoon. I love it, right? It's a picture of Satan talking to God, looking over the world. And, and, and here's how the cartoon went. I love it. It says, Satan was saying, hey, this COVID-19, uh, I used this COVID-19 to close your churches. And it shows then God saying, you're gravely mistaken because I decided to open a church in homes everywhere. You see, that's the deal. The church is scattered, and he's writing to a church that's scattered. They're scattered for a different reason. Listen close. Listen close. You see, we're scattered. It's not because we're being persecuted. It's because there's a virus, and we're trying to be good neighbors. We're trying to do the right thing. The church he's writing to, they're scattered. And some of them are scattered because they're under the rule of an evil emperor. His name was Nero. And so some of the people he's writing to, they've been displaced because of the government that they were under. He's writing to people who are disillusioned. He's writing to employees who have been, who are being mistreated by their employers. He's writing to wives who feel alone in their relationship with God and they're disillusioned. He's writing to people who are being blamed for things they didn't do. He's writing to people who are under severe trials. He's writing to real people who are in real problems, who have real challenges that create real questions, which leads to this. First Peter is written by a real guy, Peter, to real people, God's elect exiles that are scattered, and they need real hope. They got some real situations going on, and they need real hope. And that's why this book is so Important for us to walk through right now because some of you listening to this right now need real hope. You need real hope. And that's why this book is going to be so powerful in your life. Peter, his whole purpose for writing this book to these real people in this real situation so that they could understand that they could have, listen close, a living hope while living here. That they could have a living hope while living here. You're saying, Dan, why you say it that way? Because living here for a lot of us, and even for them, is what kills our hope. For some of us, living here is when we experience hope dying. Some of you experience that right now. When we place our hope in circumstances turning out just right, for many of us, that hope dies when the stock market crashes. That hope dies when all of a sudden I lose my job. That hope dies when I get the diagnosis. That hope dies when the unexpected happens. Some of us, we place our hope in relationships. And like, man, this relationship, and it's gonna turn out right, and it's gonna be a fairy tale. And for a lot of us, that hope dies when all of a sudden our spouse isn't quite what we wish they were. When all of a sudden our parents disappoint us, our kids didn't turn out, when the friends betray us. You see, living here for a lot of us is where hope dies. For some of us, it's where hope dies because we put our hope in, in a sense of justice and fairness. And you want to know something? That might be you. And, and, and our hope dies when all of a sudden we get overlooked for the promotion that we deserved but somebody else got. All of a sudden, hope dies when we don't get picked for the team because the coach's son, right? You know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, hope dies when we get treated unfairly and there is no justice that follows. For some of us, hope dies because we put our hope in leaders and maybe political systems and government. And all of a sudden, when they don't do what they say, when they don't come through like we hoped, hope dies. You know what I know about some of you? Hope dies because living here for some of us is where hope dies because of our past. For for some of you, you can't shake your past and hope dies. And somebody's told you there's no hope for you because of past decisions you've made, because of past situations in your life, and all of a sudden hope dies. That's what 1 Peter is all about. This is not a pie-in-the-sky, sweet-by-and-by type of letter. This is a raw gritty, real letter that Peter writes to real people in the middle of real problems and he says you can have a real hope and it's a living hope. Living hope is the theme of this book. Living hope while living here. Now listen close. He wants you to know living hope is something you can have and living hope is something you do. I can have living hope and when I have living hope, I can... Live living hope. You see how that works? Living hope, all of a sudden, I live in a way that has hope. He's saying, Dan, help me understand this. Well, look what he says in First Peter. He says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his, say it out loud there in your living room, in his what? Great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I want you to remember. Living hope is a gift I can receive while living here is something I can have. Living hope, that's what he wants you to know. And he says this, it is a result of his great mercy. I don't earn it. I don't achieve it. Hey, guys, I don't even deserve it. And it is totally something that hinges on the fact that Jesus died but is alive. Everything we talked about, everything we celebrate on Easter is what drives this living hope. It is rooted in the fact that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. And because Jesus was dead, now is alive, there is this living hope that is a gift, I don't deserve it, that God extends to me while living here. You're saying, what does that gift entail? Can I tell you three things underneath that? Three things. They're all in here. Look back at 1 Peter. He says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great mercy. I get what I don't deserve and I don't get what I do deserve, right? He has given us what? New birth. Write this down somewhere. It is the gift. It is the gift of a new beginning. That's what it is. It's the gift of a new beginning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever just wanted to start over? Have you? Like, like have you ever just wanted a fresh start? Isn't it true that our past, for a lot of us, can reach into our present and it is the very thing that sabotages hope in us? That what we long for is a fresh start because somehow we've been identified, labeled by our past decisions, by our past mistakes, and it robs us of our joy? What Peter is saying is this, is that we can have a fresh start. We can have a new beginning, and that new beginning is called a new birth. We can be born again. We can have a new birth, and that becomes the defining moment in our life. Not our failure, not our sin, not our guilt, not our mistakes, but our new birth, and that's why he calls it a living hope. Why does he call it a living hope? Because the Bible says this, that we are dead in our sin. You are dead without Jesus in your sin. And that's why we need a living hope. I've said this before, and if you've hung around the campus here very long, you've heard me say this. But I want to say it again because it fits here. But when it comes to being dead, something I know is this, is dead is dead is dead is dead. Dead is dead. It's just dead. Dead is dead is dead is dead. Say that with me out loud right there. Dead is dead is dead is dead. What are you saying, Dan? What I'm saying is this, is that whether you walk up on a gruesome accident where where there's a fatality and it is just an awful sight, and you're like, man, that person is really dead and it's gruesome. Or whether you walk into a funeral home where somebody is dressed in their best suit and their hair is combed just right and they're laying in a casket, they're just as dead. I've shared this with you before when my father died. Uh, there's an American custom that's just as interesting to me that we, we do this thing called viewing. And people would say this to me as they walked through the line and they meant well and I received it well. But they would they would look at me, my dad was in his best suit, his hair was combed just right, and he was laying in the casket and person after person would say this, doesn't he look good? Doesn't your father look good? And I would say politely back, oh, yes, he does. But inside I was screaming because I was like, he doesn't look good, he looks dead. My father looked good when he was alive. You see, here's the point. No matter how you dress up deadness, it's still dead. And we're all dead. And for some of us, It looks gruesome. Maybe that's you. Maybe it just looks gruesome. Maybe the decisions you've made, it's like, wow. And for some of us, it might look dressed up. We're really, really religious. What God wants you to know is dead is dead is dead is dead. That in our sin, we are dead. And the defining moment in our life, because Jesus died for us and isn't still dead, he rose again. I can be born again, that when I say yes to Jesus, I go from being dead to alive. I go from being dead in my sins to being forgiven and having new life, being born into the family of God. Because of his mercy, it's because of what Jesus did. You might be saying, how do I experience new birth? It's, it has nothing to do with what you do to accomplish it. It has everything to do with saying yes to what he did. That when he died and rose again, he did that for your sin. He died the death you deserved. But when he rose again, he had victory over sin, death, and the grave. That's how I experienced new birth. That's what Peter is saying. Being born again is saying yes to what Jesus did. And that's where living hope begins. When you do, you receive the gift of this living hope. It's not all he says. In 1 Peter, he goes on and says this. This living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What is he saying? He said it's the gift of new beginnings, but it's also the gift of a secure future. Isn't it true that not being sure of what's going to happen in the future is something that can steal, rob, and kill our hope? We're we're not sure how things are going to turn out. I have a confession to make. The movie Captain Phillips that I watched, I think it was several nights ago, I already watched it before. Like that was the second time I watched the movie. And so as I watched this drama and I thought, man, how's this going to turn out? you know what? You know what I had the confidence in watching it this second time? I knew how the movie ended. And so the drama was gripping. It was scary at times. Like, he was in very precarious situations. And yet the whole time I'm eating my popcorn, right? Drinking my water. And I'm like, man, I was gripped by the drama, but I knew how it ended. That's what Peter wants you to know. A living hope is secure in its future. There is a fixed reference point, and it's something that goes beyond the scope of the drama that's playing out in your world, in our world right now. Think think about the guy writing this, Peter. You ever think about Peter and what the resurrection of Jesus meant to Peter? You ever think about this? Like Peter eyewitnessed the darkest hours for Peter, Where when he saw Jesus being crucified, that evening for Peter, everything fell apart. He thought, Jesus is the Messiah. I'm putting, I, I believe we're going to take over and turn things around. And when they killed Jesus, he, all of a sudden, everything fell apart for Peter. They fell apart such to the point that he even denied that he knew the the Jesus that he said he would die for. Friday and Saturday for Peter were days of utter despair, disappointment. But then Sunday when Peter went to the tomb and found it was empty, and when Jesus appeared to Peter, all of a sudden his sadness turned to joy, his despair turned to triumph, and he realized the whole time, listen close, God had a plan. God had a plan. God was working a plan. Here's the deal. I want to tell you this right now. Right now, for all of us who are living, there's a sense, figuratively speaking, when we're living in Saturday. That's what Peter's saying. And Sunday's coming. And he's saying that that future is secure. He's saying we are exiles and this time that we spend on this earth is brief compared to eternity. J.R. Tolkien has an interesting quote. He says, The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. (laughs) I love that. Everything sad will come untrue. There is a great Sunday morning coming in eternity when all the sad things come untrue. Where you're reunited with the child you lost Disease is taken away, no more pain, no more crying. But here's what I want you to hear in Peter's voice. Peter wants you to know that when he saw the resurrection, what appeared to be the worst day, where it looked like God was least in control, is when God was most in control. And that God wasn't, it wasn't just that, god won in the end but that he used apparent defeat to accomplish his purpose and his plan like i know right now you might be looking around there are so many questions we're living in a figurative saturday there are questions some of you are asking i don't even know answers to right but i know that there is a god that even when maybe it appears like does he know and is he in control that there is a god who has a plan And when it appears like he is in the least control is when he is doing the most to accomplish his purpose and plan. Now, once I secure, look here a second, once I secure my hope in a new beginning, and once I secure my hope in a secure future, all of a sudden I'm free to live in the great in-between called living here. I got a secure a new beginning. I got to secure a future that's sure. And when those are secure, then I can latch on to the secret of living here now. And what's the secret? Really quick, let's look at this. He said God's elect exiles, God's elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. He says, God's elect exiles. It's interesting. He says, you're elect, you're chosen by God, but you're exiles, you're strangers here. Here's all Peter's doing. Lean in. Peter, right out of the gate, wants them to know that living hope understands who you are in Christ. That when you have set your hope in Christ, your future is secure, that you can live here knowing who you are in Christ, that this world is not your permanent residence, that you are God's elect, and that this is temporary. It is literally the gift of a new identity. Listen close, guys. As thankful as I am to live in this great country we live in, this is not my first identity. This is not even my first loyalty. But I am God's elect. I belong to God. Peter saying this, remember who you are. Do not forget who you are. You ever heard the phrase, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? You ever heard that? Yeah. Be careful not to be so heavenly minded. We are here for a reason, for a time. And it's not a good thing to be always so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But listen, there's another problem, and I think it's one that maybe many of us struggle with. I think what Peter would say is this. Be careful that you don't become so earthly-minded that you're no heavenly good. Remember who you are. You're God's elect. You're chosen by him for a purpose. And this journey we're on, 60, 70, 50, 90, however many years it is, is temporary. It's for a season. My identity, my identity is as an elect exile. And you know, he says, just in case you're not sure what that means, he says that as an elect exile, I want you to remember this as you're walking. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. At recess as a kid, did you ever have a moment when they were picking teams and nobody picked you? You ever have that happen? Here's what Peter is saying. When you've said yes to Jesus, you can be assured that God the Father picked you. He pursued you. He chose you. You see, Peter knew exactly what that was like. He remembers the day Jesus walked by and says, you, come follow me. So how in the world do I know that I'm chosen by God? For some of you, that day may be today. Because it simply comes with you saying yes to God in his invitation to you, his invitation to this living hope, his invitation that comes because of his great mercy and the fact that Jesus died in your place on the cross for your sin and that he rose again. For some of you, that day may be today. I can tell you this, last week I absolutely loved hearing from one of, uh, one of our friends who said on Easter Sunday was the day when she said yes to Jesus. Maybe that day is today. For you, not only chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, but through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What's he saying? The minute I say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God resides within. And you know what the Spirit of God does? I'm chosen by the Father, but I'm coached by the Spirit. He's coaching me every day to become more and more like Jesus. He's literally working in my life. You know why that is so powerful? It's so powerful because even the hard things in my life become this raw material sometimes that he uses to make me more like Jesus. Sometimes it's the disappointment. Sometimes it's the delusion. Sometimes it's, it's the things I struggle with and the frustration, and he uses them. You know what else it tells me? That the spirit is working inside of me, and it means that my failures aren't final. Peter knew that better than anybody. He denied he knew Jesus three times. And you know what Jesus said? Hey, Pete, I'm going to use you to lead my church. You see, the spirit of God's working in me, that God the Father chooses me. And then he says, don't forget to be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood. Don't forget how much I love you. I love you so much that I demonstrated my love by sending Jesus to die in your place. And that Jesus who died in your place, if he loved you that much, you can trust him enough to follow him. He's not a God who, who, who is aloof, but he is a God who took on flesh. And he illustrates and is the example of how you and I can live with a living hope. Jesus is our example. That's what 1 Peter is all about. And here's the deal. When you receive this living hope, it changes the way you live. All of a sudden, living hope becomes something you receive when you say yes to Jesus. And then you know what happens? You start living hope because you have this hope that's alive. I would write it down this way. Living hope demonstrates that while living here, hope is alive in me. When I receive a living hope, all of a sudden I start living hope. It's something I can receive, and then it's something that all of a sudden changes the way I live. When I have a hope, a hope that is rooted in a new beginning I have in Jesus, a hope that has a secure future, a hope that lives in light of its identity given from God, it causes me to live hope. I live differently. I navigate differently difficulties differently. I navigate injustice differently, disillusionment, disappointment, hard relationships, things that happen in my life that other people maybe would follow. I begin to navigate it different. Why? Because I haven't put my hope in circumstances. My hope isn't in the the, the circumstances are all going to go just perfectly. It's not in relationships being a fairy tale. It's not in a political system. It's not in a particular leader. It is in Jesus, new beginning, secure future. And he's the one who tells me who I am. And when that happens, all of a sudden, I navigate life differently. I begin living hope. And when I begin living hope, here's what happens. Living hope begs a question that I need to be ready to answer while living here all of a sudden people begin seeing, why in the world aren't you falling apart? Why in the world aren't you anxious? Why aren't you so disheveled? Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you? And what happens is it begs a question, and that question deserves an answer, and that's the whole rest of the book of First Peter. He says that when I have a living hope that's anchored, when I know who I am, then I live differently. And when I live differently, when I live differently, it begs a question. And when it begs the question, I need to be ready to give an answer because we live in a world desperate for hope. We live around people desperate for hope. And that becomes very real when things begin to fall apart that people have placed their hope in. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a living hope? Have you ever experienced this new birth, a secure future that gives you a new identity? Why not today? There in your living room. Today, watching this online experience, you can say yes to Jesus. I believe, God, you love me, that Jesus came and died for me in my place, and that he's alive. And Today, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Man, if that's a prayer that you prayed in your living room. I'd love to hear from you somehow. For some of you, you said, I have said yes to Jesus. I have experienced a new birth. Can I ask you this? Does that living hope show up in you living hope in a way that begs a question? Does your life somehow beg a question because your hope isn't in things that seem to die in our world, but your hope is alive because it's in Jesus? You see, that's the book of 1 Peter. And so, Father, we're beginning this journey, this conversation. Teach us, challenge us, and change us. I am so grateful that we can have a living hope because of your great mercy and because the once-dead Jesus is now alive, Jesus. Because of that, we can have a new beginning, a secure future, and we can live out our life knowing exactly who we are, chosen by you, your spirit at work inside of us, loved by Jesus enough that he died for us and following him because he's alive and leading us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.